You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. As Patterson needs to score. Here he cuts into the slot to the forehand. He misses, and the Predators win. Two goals with a minute and a half left. Just shows, you know, character, but also how guys, you know, want to win and are competitive. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studios of beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Quinn Hughes got me distracted there. I didn't realize it was going to cut off so, so abruptly in the intro. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. He's uh, walking on sunshine. He's walking on air. It's Jason Bruff for Kintech, everybody. My chair feels amiss. Do I feel? Do I look too high? Not like... This chair be high, says <laughs> I. I feel like I'm, I'm hunched over the microphone. Do I look okay? Do I look normal? You oh, are you visual perch. You okay, good. You are developing a bit of a hunch. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I've noticed. What? It's like yeah. Mr. Burns adopted <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to say anything, but it's freaking me out now. Get that jacket one size tighter. Uh, okay. Excellent. We have a big show ahead on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I want to look specifically at the race in the East with regards to who's in and who's out. The, are the Detroit Wet, Red Wings, Wed Wings, the Detroit Red Wings going to be in the playoffs this Why, year? Why, West they are. Yeah, and are the Washington Capitals going to be? Are the Detroit be... <laughs> Wed Wings going to be in the playoffs? Remember when I called it Wadgers Arena? <laughs> yes. Speaking of guests, tomorrow, it would be Thursday, you know who's going to join the program? I, I know who it is, but why don't you tell everyone? John McEnroe. Now, I say John McEnroe because he does not need a descriptor no. at the beginning of his name. Everyone knows who John McEnroe is, right? Or, or do they? Obviously. Or do Except they? for one man. <laughs> one dog said yesterday, are you guys interested in having John McEnroe on the program? I said, yes, a dog. I certainly am. No, I believe he said this John McEnroe guy. No, then he said, <laughs> okay, we got the tennis guy for tomorrow. <laughs> at which point I said, Andy... Do you not know who John McEnroe is? And you responded, I still don't. <laughs> that and is unbelievable. That's truly unbelievable. Didn't even bother Googling it. But he's, he's, I, like, I, I, I kind of like, I, I think it's sometimes a little bit mean when, you, when you're like, how do you not know this? It's kind of like doing that same thing with like a movie. Like, how have you never seen that? You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That's but honestly, movie. Andy, like, how do you not know that who John, John McEnroe is? Oh, cool. John McEnroe. John McEnroe, one of the most famous. It's not like so he says, so Andy goes yesterday, I'm not much of a tennis guy. Oh yeah? Oh, Are noted. you much of a turns the TV on once in a while guy? If it happened before twenty eighteen in tennis, I don't know about it. Because that's when I started paying because I, I when I got the TSN gig, I'm like, oh great, I gotta start paying attention to tennis. Do you ever so watch it? He commentates quite a bit on, say, on, on tennis matches. Anyway, no. I, I don't I don't get angry. I find it adorable that you've come this far in life. Because you're like what, twenty two now? 38. <laughs> right. 38. The, fa- the fact that you don't know who John McEnroe is, is ca- it's actually quite endearing because we all strive to learn things. So is he it's- famous? or He's very famous. Okay, cool. So he is best known <laughs> as a legendary tennis player, but also had a really volatile temper mm-hmm. and had some of the most classic freakouts on court of like all Like what we time. just heard. 
Yeah. And yeah. That, that clip, I know. See? We're that learning. clip, I just didn't know. I didn't put the name to the person. You might have even seen him at a Rangers game because he's a big New York Rangers fan. Yep. Okay. Should I mention this to him before he gets Do on the not air with you? Mention <laughs> see if he freaks out on the air? I would, I'd like to see that, actually. A <laughs> yeah, John McEnroe temper tantrum at our producer. <laughs> we have 10 minutes for the interview tomorrow. Eight of them were spent yelling at Andy. So anyway, that's the guest list tomorrow. John McEnroe. Legendary tennis player is going to join so us on the say. Halford and Bruff show. Uh, but anyway, we got today's show that we need to get to. We also need to tell you what happened. Laddie, let's do that now. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Okay, Jason, uh, the big question for you to start. Do we start with the trade or do we start with... The game. Where would you like to begin? I think uh, if we start with the Luke Shen situation, we can um, delve nicely into the game as a result of that. Okay. So yesterday we learned that Luke Shen went back to Vancouver for trade protection reasons. Um, I'm sure he appreciated. Can you turn your microphone if you're going to take know. like a massive gulp? No, you know what it is. Massive gulp of coffee and then the, uh, wipe your face. He's a professional, folks. You he's know. a professional. <laughs> So the cup actually has a crack in it. Okay. I don't care. I don't care about your cup. I don't care about your chair. I care about the show. So I'm going to keep going here. Ooh, okay. If you want to turn your microphone off while you take a massive gulp of coffee. Okay. Luke Shen went back to Vancouver for trade protection reasons yesterday, given he traveled to Nashville. <laughs> Can we send Halford away for trade protection reasons? <laughs> it's merited at this point. <laughs> Some people hate our show, and I understand why. Hard to I understand why. 100% why. They just want to hear about the Canucks. Given uh, Lucien traveled to Nashville before he was called back to Vancouver, you got to assume a deal is real close. Otherwise, he just never would have left for a trip. It's a two-game trip. <laughs> they played in Nashville yesterday. Uh, and then they go to St. Louis tomorrow. Um, Luke Shen's wife, we all know, is um, due with a baby quite soon, due March 3rd, which just so happens to be the trade deadline. So Luke Shen, uh, back to Vancouver for trade protection reasons. I wouldn't be surprised if we learned about this trade today. Although, you know, knowing how things go in the NHL, it looked at one point like, for example, like Jacob Trickner had been traded, and then he's not been traded yet. Just so sitting there. There have been out. a bunch of guys like Gavrikov and Columbus has been held out of the lineup for a long time. So um, we'll see how it all shakes out with Luke Shen, but it does look now like he's going to be traded, which we can discuss later about what a potential return could look like. What are you expecting in a potential return? I'm, I've said before, like I would like at least a second-round draft pick for Luke Shen, but we'll see what happens. So... With Shen unable to play and OEL moved on to IR, it left the Canucks with a blue line of Quinn Hughes, Ethan Bear, Tyler Myers, Stillman, Wolanin, and Kyle Burrows. And for most of the game, it did not go well for that group. And I would say especially for Myers and Stillman. We uh, We can get into that later. And yet, for the defensive mistakes that occurred, the Canucks still somehow got a point 
with a 5-4 shootout loss to Nashville. They needed a couple of late goals. The last one, just a really great effort by Kuzmenko, and it was the second goal of the game. Nice pass by JT Miller, but Mm -hmm. Kuzmenko really made it happen with his work through the neutral zone. Pass it off to JT Miller on the entry, then goes to the net, gets uh, position on the Nashville defender for a nice tip home. And, you know, the Canucks fans at home are either laughing or, you know, cheering or some of them are crying because they're on Team Tank. Um, Kuzmenko gets his 25th and 26th goals of the season. And really both of them were beauties. And he nearly scored another beauty in the shootout. Mm -hmm. Um, But after the game, there was like this mixed feeling that we've experienced so much in Vancouver over the next, over the last few years where some people were like, good for the Canucks. You know, they came back and they got a point and they made the game exciting. They could have won it in overtime. They could have won it in the shootout. And yet... One of the first texts we get is from Doug from Salmon Arm that says these loser points are going to kill us. Folks, this is the problem with playing out the string and having no games of consequence. Is Inevitably, fans that are invested are going to see some sort of consequence at the end of this. Very few are just going to check out. Like Fans are going to remain watching games, God bless them, they're still doing that, and trying to see some long-term outcome. So right now, whereas I've kind of been like, this year is a bit of a waste. Like They're not going to get anything out of this. They burned a lot of years off contracts for Pedersen and guys on ELCs, whatever. Some people are saying, no, there can be something of value. It's a higher lottery chance and a higher opportunity, percentage-wise, to get Connor Bedard. Then you get into this weird song and dance where... You want the games to follow a specific script every night. And that's very difficult to do. So it's mm-hmm. keep it competitive, make it kind of exciting, but don't get any points at the end of it. And I hate it personally. Like, I hate this whole thing. Oh, it's just, it's so tiring. Yeah. It's just exhausting. It's, I mean, for one season, it's might have been kind of fun. Like, one this season, it would have been fun. This is weird cheering against your own team. That's odd. I remember doing this in the lead up to the Rossman Dolan sweepstakes. That feels like a decade ago. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's not fun. And if you guys enjoy it and you get some sort of weird gallows humor out of watching this team struggle, that's great. But the reality of it is um, we are in a world where a two-goal comeback with the goalie pulled on both, two goals in the final 90 seconds. I mean, in a lot of ways, you should be celebrating that. But it does the team no good in the immediacy. Um, it, I guess it shows some fight, so that's great for the guys in the room. But ultimately, it was a loser point where everyone else is looking at, well, what did Anaheim do last night? They got destroyed, by the way. And then what's Arizona going to do tonight? What did Chicago do? And that's a, not a great situation to be in, but it is the reality that we chose as Canucks fans. And I look at that last night. By the way, on the subject of where you're at in the season, even though they won last night, do you feel like Nashville is any more sold on their chances to get back into this playoff chase in the West after seeing that, because they basically oh, they're, they're, eked, they basically eked out a victory against. Here's how I framed it: the Canucks had one of the NHL's poorest blue lines going into the season, mm-hmm. right? Wolanin, when everybody is healthy, would be around the tenth or eleventh guy depth wise in the organization, depending on, on the blue who's line. Healthy and who's yeah, not. like let's say everybody was healthy, including Pullman and Dermott, he'd be tenth or eleventh. So. 
the 10th or 11th defenseman on one of the worst team, worst defenses in the NHL, nearly played 20 minutes last night. That kind of gives you an idea of where the Canucks are at. And the Preds really went down to the mattresses with them. Like, they're not much of a team. But well, Rick Tockett said up. afterwards that he liked the way the Canucks played. He said there were a couple of mistakes, and we'll get to those mistakes in just a bit. But the Canucks outshot the Preds. Um, some of that's going to be score effects. But um, I just don't think Nashville's a very good team, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. No. I know they're within punching distance, but I watch them play, and I say that's not a very good team. And they've got a minus 10 goal differential on the season. So enough about the Preds. Now, I do want to talk positively about Kuzmenko for a bit because I know there are a lot of people that were upset that he wasn't traded for something um, at the deadline. And the one thing that I didn't mind about the contract extension, um, because I don't put that in the same category as re-signing JT Miller, because I think Andre Kuzmenko's contract, the fact that it was a two-year deal, cap hit of $5.5 million, if Kuzmenko keeps showing what he's showing and he stays on a line with Elias Pettersson and he keeps having, um, he keeps putting goals in, I mean, he's going to score 30 goals this year. Yep. If he can keep that up, and frankly, I think he's gotten better as the season has progressed and Rick Tockett is working with him on, on some of his defensive play and you saw the effort last night. We all know how much he wants to improve, how much he wants to get better. The contract that he signed maintains his value. Th- that's the important thing, right? The thing with the JT Miller extension or Oliver ekman Larson when he signed that extension is all of a sudden you're like, well, is he still worth what he was when he was unattached to this massive uh, commitment to him? Mm-hmm. It's not a massive commitment to Kuzmenko. And while I don't think the Canucks ever really explored Kuzmenko's trade value, I I was kind of pessimistic, or not pessimistic, but skeptical about how much he would have really returned because I think there would have been some GMs out there that would have been like, yeah, he's got a low cap hit, and yeah, he's produced, but he's unproven in North America. Can I trust this guy to perform for me in the playoffs in a top six role, especially with some of his defensive stuff? Listen, whether you like it or not, there's still some GMs that are out there that'll be like, well, he's Russian. Is he tough enough? Is he going to play? Is he going to play like that in the playoffs? Is he going to be able to handle the grit and intensity of the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Give Kuzmenko a few more years in the league. And all of a sudden, he's got more of an NHL body of work. You get to the end of this current contract that he's on. Fast forward two years from now. Let's right. say the Canucks still haven't figured it out. They're Stanley Cup champions. And they're st- twice <laughs> they, over. They still haven't figured it out. And they're in sell mode again at the trade deadline. I think Kuzmenko could have just as much value or even more value than, than he does now, even at the higher cap rate that he would be at. So, right. I mean, I, I was the only, okay. the only difference would be that he's got a, a, a modified no trade yep. clause at that yep. point, right? Whereas that could be different. Whereas this year, mm-hmm. you could have moved anywhere. I'll push back. I, and first off, I'll preface it by saying, like, I really like the guy. I think he's got dynamic finish. We saw it last night on the first goal, the breakaway. I think he's got a real uh, thirst and hunger. For the game, he didn't necessarily wilt when pressure was put on him by Taka. When Taka came in and said, you need to work on these particular things, he encouraged it and wanted more. I think he's going to be a really good NHL player. That said, he was one of two tangible assets that the Canucks had to trade. 
I, I, they was him and Demko where they could possibly get something in return. And the only reason I bring that up is because we're going to spend a considerable amount of time today talking about just how bleak the outlook is for this blue line. And at this point, you would have to say, are, if you were to trade a Kuzmenko or a Demko, you would say, are we robbing Peter to pay Paul? And what could you have got for Kuzmenko, though? I Demko, don't know. I agree. But I think you needed to, I mean, you probably still could, but I think it was worth exploring because you only have two tangible trade yeah. assets. That's I don't all. think they're ever going to explore it. This doesn't make it, this doesn't make it right. Like I, I agree in theory with, with, with what you're saying that they need to find a way to fix the defense somehow. Cause we'll get into this. Mm-hmm. But I think when Kuzmenko agreed to come to Vancouver, there was an unspoken agreement that they wouldn't trade. Possibly. Because he was only allowed to sign the one-year deal. Yeah. So no, essentially, probably in the handshake deal, it was probably a three-year deal. Possibly. Don't get me wrong. These All these things could be valid. But if they, if you could actually physically trade him, I mean, business is business. That's it. Mm-hmm. This team right now, again, we're watching games in late February with 30 games left on the calendar and the season's so far run out that we're talking about Christian Wolanin who's playing 18, 19 minutes a night because that's how far down they are, a really, really, really whittled away. And to begin with, not very good blue line. And this is what I, this was the argument that I had way back before Kuzmenko signed. Was I was like, I really like the guy. I don't think they should trade him. I don't want him to get traded. He's warm and cuddly and has funny hair. But if you need to build a defense, and almost from scratch, because it's really one guy, Quinn Hughes, and then a bunch of other spare parts, then you're going to need... A lot of ammo, mm-hmm. either to make trades or to draft guys or, you know, I think free agency, ignore it. Don't you wish we knew exactly what Kuzmenko could have been worth yeah. at, the, at the deadline? Because yeah. I know there were a lot of people that were looking at his cap hit and looking at his production and going, how could this not guy not return you a first-round draft pick or maybe even a good young prospect? And I was kind of like, yeah, I get, I, I know, I understand in theory, and I'm not, and I'm not saying you're, uh, those people are definitely wrong that maybe it could have gotten there. Mm-hmm. But in the back of my mind, I also know how a lot of NHL GMs think, and they're like, you know what? I'd rather have the proven entity. I don't, I don't deny, I don't doubt it. I think the curiosity factor is also amplified by the fact that he's such a unique character. I mean, not many guys come over on a one-year European clause deal, yeah. and then light it up the way that he did. And then going into the deadline, where everyone's like, oh, they're looking for a top six score. It's like, well, here you go. We got one right here, and he's cheap. So we're going to have a discussion about uh, the Canucks defense later in the show. Uh, we've only got a few minutes to go until we're going to chat with David Amber. We can talk about the Canucks, and we can talk about uh, the rest of the Canadian NHL teams and the playoff race in the East. But I don't think we can um, recap last night's game without addressing the defense and some of the mistakes made. Let's focus on the Myers and Stillman pairing because Tyler Myers had himself an absolute nightmare performance last night. Uh Um, He was all over the map. He was too passive when he should have been aggressive. He was too aggressive when he should have been passive. Uh, He was playing goal a lot, which I don't think was particularly helpful when others – when, when when there were players that needed to be, I don't know, checked in front of the net. Um, and his defensive partner, Riley Stillman, wasn't any better. And I don't know what Riley Stillman was doing on Nashville's third goal, which came after the Canucks tied it up at two. And there was about 20 seconds <laughs> left in the period. So you're like, okay, well, we'll probably get out of this. And then 
the Predators gained control off the faceoff, and I think it went to Yossi. And Yossi, who is a pretty good puck-moving defenseman, pretty good skater, starts moving forward, and well, and, and Stellman is like, well, I guess I got him. And then he uh, got beaten badly. Yep. By Yossi yeah. at the blue line. Like, I, I honestly, I know, I understand, you know, be aggressive and stand up at the blue line and protect your blue line. And Yossi's but, a good player. But not like that. Yeah. Not like that. And all of a sudden, the Canucks were into a massive fire drill. It ends up in the back of their net. And you just watch it. I mean, it got worse for Myers. He stumbled on, on you know, a few seconds before uh, the Preds scored another. I think that was their fourth goal. And it was just, it, it, it was so, it was so, so bad. And it got me thinking about the conversation we had yesterday with Drance, like, how do you fix this defense? And he was like, I don't know. Because that's the answer. It's, it's extremely difficult when you look at it and take a big step back and say, okay, what are we dealing with currently? And how many pieces need to go? Because it was funny, I was listening to the broadcast last night right here on Sportsnet 650. And that goal that you're alluding to came right before the intermission. So quickly it got thrown back to the studio with Satin Bick. And they were borderline apoplectic about how embarrassing that particular moment was. Because the Canucks rallied from a two-goal deficit and gritted their way through it, right? The Dries goal was pretty greasy, but they got it done. And then all they needed to do after... Coming back in that game, again, feeling positive about themselves, rallying from two goals down, was just kill 20 seconds of time before they got to the intermission. It was like it was one of the worst possible moments that you could concede because you had done well to get back into it going into the third period. And it was just a, a comedy of errors, and it's something that we've seen countless times this year. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter who was behind the bench. Quite frankly, it didn't even matter which of the rotating parts on defense because two other lousy defensemen could have made that play as well. But it just speaks to where this team is, and Satin Big were using this term. They're an unserious team. Like, like, yeah. like serious hockey teams know that when you get handed that lifeline, you have to close out the deal. You have to close out 20 seconds to go into the room. What phrase would Rick Tockett use? <sighs> Come on. Uh, well, he'd either use... Uh, I don't know which one would he use. Game management. Game management. I was gonna say you got to protect the guts of the ice, but that was <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, you had to protect the guts of the ice. Yeah. As, as and well. they did. I mean, Yossi right? went, you skated right into the guts of the ice. He's, There's guts everywhere, yeah. but I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> uh, here's a question I'm gonna throw out to the listeners because we're gonna discuss this later. How many keepers do the Canucks have on defense? But guys, you want to keep going forward on the Canucks defense to help rebuild this group. How many do they have? We will discuss this later. Halford, you don't have to I answer. Almost, I almost said it. You just have to, I, I, you have to make the I, many sounds I, that you've been making into I, the mic. I, 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 Hasn't been a great start for you, buddy. <laughs> but we'll try and get better. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. And rough. Seven oh two on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Stay warm out there. It's gonna be cold the next couple days. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. 
So last night in Nashville, the Canucks lost in a shootout 5-4 to the Preds. It was looking like a regulation loss until the Canucks scored a couple of goals in the last couple of minutes uh, to force overtime and the shootout. Kuzmenko was very good, scored another two goals. Myers and Stillman were very bad. And after the game, Rick Tockett wasn't really in the mood to bury them and to go on a long speech about how they need to be better. All he said was, yeah, they had a tough night. (laughs) And there was a follow-up question, does his team need to be more robust in front of its net, tougher in front of a net? Tockett, this is all from IMAX article, by the way. Tockett goes, yep, yep, yeah, they do. And you could tell watching the scrum that he was biting his lip. Sure. And and he was probably just like, listen, we got to get out of here. We got to travel to St. Louis. I'm not going to stay here a long time and bury these guys. It was a really, really rough night for Tyler Myers and Riley Stillman. Mm-hmm. And the discussion on social media on Twitter last night was all about the Canucks defense and how they're going to fix it. Or some people didn't even get into the fix it mode. They were just bemoaning it. Yep. And I threw out a link to the 46 defensemen that the Canucks have used since 2014-15, which was when Jim Benning came in and Trevor Linden came in. So I just went back to that era because this era – or the start of the era, this era has not been very good. And in terms of games played, the two leaders since 2014-15 are Alex Edler and Chris Tanev. Okay, well, they're not part of the organization anymore, obviously. The third is Troy Stetcher. The fourth is Ben Hutton. And then you've got Tyler Myers, Quinn Hughes, Lucas Spiza, Alex Biega, Eric Gabranson, and Luke Shen. What a collection. Those are the top ten in terms of games played, and you're looking at it and going, the Canucks have found one defenseman that they really like in the last what, almost a decade. We got so excited and when and that's we, Quinn Hughes. We got so excited when Quinn Hughes came aboard that we finally had a franchise defenseman that we stopped looking for other ones. <laughs> we were just so excited and enamored. We're like, look at him; he's so good. It is the uh, for me at least. For me, others will have other opinions, but for me, it is the defining failure of the Jim Benning era. So what you're saying is that there are multiple failures, but that's the defining that's one. That's the defining one. Got it. That is the, because, um, you know, listen, there, there wasn't much else that was done particularly well. I guess goalies were found. They did get good they goalies They did a good job of finding and developing goalies. Don't say that we're not fair graders when it comes yeah. to report cards. We gave them uh, a... a B plus, but the defense when um, when Jim Benning took over, he could look at that defense and and see that it needed to be turned over at some point. You had guys like Alex Edler and Chris Tanev and and Dan Hamhuis, and there were a lot of miles on those guys, and they were going to need to be turned over. And eventually, they were. They were just turned over for the wrong players, save for Quinn Hughes. You know the way it went. If you think about it, was OEL replaced Edler? And Tyler Myers replaced Tanev. That's a fair way to look at it. But they were done at uh, extreme cost, OEL, in terms of the actual trade to get him, but also money. And, oh, yeah, they weren't nearly as good as Edler and Tanev. 
There has to be, and you know, we all, we we definitely, Bruff and I have the benefit of hindsight being twenty twenty on this, and we get to look back. But at the same time, everyone in any business, let alone sport, there needs to be a progression plan. There needs to be a plan two or three or four years out, and you get. NHL executives will often, when they're about to be hired or something, and what's your plan? What does your plan look like? How are you going to do this? And you'll have laid it out two or three or four years in advance. When I talk about knock-on effects, and I use the term a lot, and probably sometimes incorrectly because I'm not good with that kind of stuff, but the knock-on effects are not year-to-year, but it almost becomes a cumulative effect of not making good, sound decisions four or five years ago coming to affect you now. So it's the, called the chickens coming home to roost. Yes, basically. That's really what it is. And the chickens, <laughs> they were roosting last night in Nashville, which is very befitting. I don't know why, but it is. Um, they, the, the replacements for Tanev and Edler, as you put it, were probably the most expensive and the least forward-thinking options that they had. They brought in expensive veteran defensemen to replace veteran defensemen. There was nobody in the system that was willing to move into that spot. They didn't have they didn't have it orchestrated, right? Other organizations will have a guy or two guys that are ready to step into that net. That's that's how the, the labor system works in the NHL. So you have younger guys on entry level deals that when guys get too expensive or too old, they step into the fold. Easier said than done to do that, especially when you're a contender. But the good organizations team. do it. They do. And when it doesn't go to plan or a prospect doesn't pan out, they've got an option at the ready. The danger for the Canucks right now is that, again, if you put it that OEL and Myers were the replacements for Tanev and Edler, the real scary thing is that what are the replacements going to be for Myers and OEL? Mm-hmm. How are you going to find them? Well, and also, how are you going to get rid of the cap hits? Because they don't exist in the organization. <laughs> And you're going to have to go elsewhere to find them. Now, there is the possibility. The only thing that I'm holding out hope for, like, God forbid they go shopping in free agency. Because at that point, you're just going to get, uh, I would say, above average replacement players at a premium. That costs money. I'm making the money gesture with my fingers and thumb here. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You can explore the trade market. You can. And you can go armed with not one, but two first-round picks. And you can say, are we willing to make a move to bring a guy in to shake something loose from somewhere else? The problem with that is if you look around the league, over the last calendar year, let's just take that, I think the two most prominent, and I'll say top four defensemen that got moved were what? Brent Burns and Alexander Romanoff? Well, Devon Taves, if you want to That wasn't in the last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like in in the immediacy. Guys that were on new teams this year. Burns... And Romanoff. Because defensemen, if you've got the good ones, you're, you're going to keep them, man. Them. You're going to keep them. You don't trade them. Like, you know, it's it's very difficult. You would have to come with a very, very lucrative package. it has got to be a better way to say that. You would have to come with a very lucrative package mm-hmm. to try and pry a really good defenseman out of one of well, these other teams. Look what the Oilers were resorted to a few years ago when they traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Mm-hmm. They were that desperate. And the the analogy I made to that is you're walking through the desert and you haven't had a drink in a, you know three days and someone offers you a bottle of water and someone says, 
and you say, okay, well, thanks for the bottle of water. And that person says, oh, no, there's a price behind it. And like, oh, how much is it? A bottle of water usually costs like, you know, a buck or two. I'll mm-hmm. pay that. And then the person goes, uh, it's actually $5,000 for this bottle of water. Oh, you're so desperate. Yeah. Well, if you don't get the bottle of water, you're going to die. And that was the situation that the Oilers were in because they had all these good forwards. And they were sitting there going, well, if we don't get defensemen, we're screwed here. Yeah. Like, we, we don't have a chance without another defenseman. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. So they took a shot. It was it was a bad gamble, but it was a gamble that they put themselves in by not developing enough defensemen in their own organization. Yeah. And this is what the Canucks have done. And this is why I bristled five years ago when I would hear management say things like, well, you know, uh, we're, we're okay trading away a second-round draft pick because – you know, that, that player won't be in the lineup for four or five years. Well, we're four or five years here now. Like, this is this is four or five years later. And this is what we're dealing with. And if you look back on the Canucks draft record over the last little bit, first of all, and this is very important, they haven't made enough picks for a bad team. Mm-hmm. And they haven't used enough quality picks on defensemen. Now, everyone will say, well, that's what led them into the Ole Ulevi bust. And I will immediately retort and say, that's why you need to get more picks because you're not going to nail all of them. And it is arrogant to think that you are such a good scout, such a good eye for talent, that you don't need as many draft picks as other teams because you've you've got the eye. You've got the eye that other people don't have. And this is why the Canucks are in this position right now. Yeah, and you're—they're playing catch up, not the condiment. They're—they're they're playing catch up, and I—I'm I, going to be very, very, very curious to see if one they'll give any any insight into how they're going to address this going into the off season and then the draft and then free agency, and two if they've got the wherewithal to pull something off. Because time kind of becomes of the essence here. I, I mean, the the thought of rolling it back for a second consecutive year with a blue line that goes largely unchanged is going to be a real tough sell. It's going to be a tough sell to talk it. It's going to be a tough sell to the guys in the room. It's going to be a tough sell to fans and media because that was one of the most glaring issues between year one and year two of the Boudreaux era, as short as it was. It was, wait a minute. You're coming back with largely the same defense. This year, it's been it's been, it's been it's been a problem in every way, shape, or form. Right? They've tried different things. They've given different looks, different deployments. They added a guy in Bear. The result is that they've allowed the second most goals in the NHL, and they might end up conceding the most by the time it's all said and done. It's them and Anaheim in a race for this. Yes, goaltending's played its part without question. But they, the, this is going to need to be fixed. And it stacks up for a super interesting offseason, right? Because you're just saying, like, how? How are you going to do this? Trader Jim. This got, is a rabbit out of the hat type of situation. It is. It is. I mean, and that, I mean, it, it kind of makes it exhilarating in one sense. Because, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, again, I, I, I challenge someone to show me a world where they come back with Hughes, OEL, Myers, and then insert fourth Luke Shen as yeah. your top four again. Ew, Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Are we doing this again? Really? Ned? Is that <laughs> you? 
but let's move on here to the article that IMAC wrote. This is quintessential Vancouver, by the way. We really, really sink our teeth into the local hockey squadron. So we get to know them beyond just players, right? Not just laundry with numbers on their backs. No. We get to learn about the interpersonal dynamics, how they feel about each other, their friendships, and the friendships that they're working on. Yeah, uh, IMAC wrote about Elias Pettersson and JT Miller and their relationship with each other. And we've seen Elias Pettersson interviewed a few times about JT Miller. And, you know, he stuck up for him on After Hours. And he said, you know, like I know people like to shh on, on, on players or – you know, but he said he, you know, JT Miller just wants wants to win, and I think there's been this concession from both of them that they're different, very different personalities, and maybe in the past they haven't always seen eye to eye. Um, but I just, <laughs> I, I know some people take this stuff seriously, and uh, but we're not going to take this stuff too seriously. Like I think it's relevant to talk about, but not in an ultra serious way, because this. This quote that G.T. Miller had made me laugh out loud when I read it. And this is the quote that I got. Petey and my relationship has come a long way. We're still working at it. We're completely different people. You know what I mean? You're not going to be best friends forever, BFFs, with everybody. But at the same time, you come to work together. We are polar opposite in a lot of ways, but we're working at it. We've come a long way. Are they in couples counseling? Like, is this something that's that that the quote about we're working at it reminded me of uh, old school when they're in the counseling? Like, I thought we were. I thought we were. Are we in the trust tree? Or are we? What, I are, thought we were in the trust tree with in the nest. Are we not? <laughs> like, it is. It is incredible that it's gotten to this point, and it actually makes me think that. Either those two have approached each other and said, we got to work out our differences or the organization, either the coaching staff or other players, maybe Horvat when he was still here, or maybe the management group said, Hey, listen, guys, you got to find a way to get along because this whole, we're, we're working at it and we've come a long way suggests to me that this is more than like, we've actually come to appreciate each other. No, yeah. it's like we're working at this because we know we need to coexist together. Yeah, I mean, I I have a little bit of experience working with a difficult individual on a daily basis. Yeah, Andy can be. Uh, How he, dare you? Honestly, <laughs> Andy, when when he when he uh, when when the show is over, Andy is a real bear. Are are we still in the tree? Just throwing <laughs> stuff around the studio. <laughs> we still in the tree. Please help uh, me. Okay, so there's yeah, and then there's Greg. I'm stuck in a room with this guy. Um, this There's a few things going on here, all of which are hilarious. One, folks, this is the kind of stuff that you start focusing on when the team ain't winning hockey games and has no purpose for the remainder of the year. You can't write about the tank for the 9 millionth iteration. You just can't. You have to find stuff where you find stuff. And right now, after the weekend, uh, the main player following his five-point performance and his appearance on After Hours was Elias Pettersson. In that interview... Pedersen was asked about his relationship with Miller, and it was an answer where you're like, oh, that's interesting, mm-hmm. because didn't come out and say that they were best friends, and uh, 
kind of tried to defend Miller's mood and antics, but also you could tell that, yes, as Miller confirmed in the piece to IMAC, they're just two completely different people. Now, I saw a lot of comments underneath saying, this doesn't matter, everyone shows up to work at lots of different workplaces with people they don't like, they still manage to get through. That's absolutely right. In a way, this doesn't matter because they don't have to be best friends. What I think the story here is, I think as we see it emerge, is that I think this is more of a challenge for Miller, to be honest, than anybody else. Because the organization has essentially said, uh, Petey's our best player. Petey's going to be the next captain. Petey's going to get a big old extension offered to him this summer that's going to make him the longest signed player on the team and is going to make him the highest paid player on the team. So, JT, and I, I did think that there's been a couple times where Talkit, where he was like, enough with the stick smashing and enough with the feeling entitled. Well, Talkit has been far more critical of JT Miller than he has been of Elias Pettersson. Yep, and I think part of that is uh, Miller's going to have to understand what his role is on the team because mm-hmm. it ain't going to be the leader and it ain't going to be the captain. That's going to be another guy. He can be a fiery, emotional dude that gets the guys going, but... He's not the alpha of the team. That's Patterson. He's not there to take them down. No. You know, he's not there to bully the room into playing better. No, because that's not his job. I mean, you who's it's bit, counterproductive. Yeah. So th- this is what I think that's what you really need to understand about what's going on here is it's less about whether Petey or Millsy are best buds and go to like 12 West together after mm-hmm. games. And yeah, they don't have to do that. And, and, and it the best mean, yeah. example is like, guess what guys, Tim Thomas wasn't the most popular Bruin still play pretty well for them. Yeah. But the key is, um, I think the key is Pedersen. Honestly, if there's one thing that's going to come from this season, it's that you'll look back on it. Hopefully I'm being very optimistic here, but you know me glass half full. Um, this is the year that he made the jump from, really good player to he's got, I mean, he's got to be in that conversation to be an elite player. Now Mm -hmm. there's very few, few ways out of the darkness for this organization. He's also got to be a leader. And how many, how many times have we heard, uh, talk it speak about the leadership group and how he needs to get it going. Well, in the article talk, it did say, and maybe Millsy can tone it down a bit. Yeah. Millsy. That was my takeaway from the whole Mm -hmm. thing is that this is more about, kind of telling JT Miller where his role is going to be moving forward. And that's not because he's – it's more because of how good and how important Pedersen is than all due respect to Miller. They're at different stages of their career. They're at different stages of their life. But they see the growth potential, I think. I think that's one of the things that talking especially has done a good job of identifying. I mean, when he talked about coming in and, and you know identifying the leadership group and making that a focal point – it wasn't just lip service. Mm-hmm. Like, they need a direction. And that's a really good way, traditionally, especially with the old hockey dudes, is find your leadership group and on them to figure it out. Right? You guys have to figure it out. And whether it's, like, in the Sedin era, where there was a collective number of voices in the room that held people accountable, or whether it's one guy leading by example, whatever the case, you just got to figure out who's going to lead you out of the darkness. They're not going to get out of the darkness without a... Bunch of defensemen. Oh. A bunch of defensemen, but also a leadership group that is um, that evolves and learns and is together on these issues to hold everyone, including themselves, accountable. And I, 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 sometimes we talk about culture and leadership too much. 
because we we're focusing on it when the obvious example is, hey, look at the defense, right? But I think what we've heard from everyone that's come back uh, in the last few years, whether it's BXA or the Sedins or whoever was part of that leadership group, there was that message there that the leaders on that team, and it was multiple players, were running that team along with the head coach, Alain Vigneault. Uh, Matt and Abby, what we learned, I learned that if Andy just found out who John McEnroe is, then I can't wait till, until he hears about this OJ character. Yeah, who else haven't you heard about? Now yeah. that you don't OJ know... Simpson, eh? Now that you don't know, I don't know who John McEnroe is... Play a uh, trivia with me. Just name some famous uh, athletes you think I might not know. Go for it. Uh, well, it's, okay, it's got to be in sports that you're not familiar yeah, with. Yeah, said right? hockey. Is there any other tennis okay. players you don't know? You know the what Williams? What sport does uh, Gary Player play? That's not a real name. Uh, Gary Player. Uh, golf. Yes. Yes, you got it. Okay. Very well okay. done. But that was an easy guess because you knew it was coming from me. Can yeah. you name a professional rugby player? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ever? No. Can you? Well, the, for one that always pops in my mind is Yona Lomu. Oh, okay. the Who's the most famous NASCAR racer you can think of? Uh oh man I I mean I know give me give <laughs> just me anyone it could be retired just anyone just anyone this is like celebrity this, jeopardy this, this, just, we will even accept right? Ricky Bobby at this, this point <laughs> <laughs> this is the zoom zoom sport right and the cars go in the circle you go, yeah you go one turn the entire time uh, oh man what about F one do you know any of the F one guys no oh man I mean not off the top of my head I'd have to think about it but I mean mm-hmm. if I saw the names I'd be like oh yeah 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 for sure. You gotta but get Dave Coltar back on the show. Even you, rip you, a new one. you know what? I, you give me hope, though, that one day this show will be able to branch out beyond just like the very narrow scope that we talk about, and be able to talk about it because you have other interests outside of sports, mm-hmm. right? And when you, you watch, are, when, when you guys watch the Grammys now, how I many of the how, how? Or if you just like hear that's up, why I don't know, hear like, about the Grammys. Like I don't know who no. any of them. Oh, dude, that's been that, for, that way for ten years now. Like. About 10 years ago, I was like, I know 1% of these artists. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, this isn't for me anymore, obviously. Right. But yeah. then Bonnie Raitt won Best Song. Everyone, right, she did. Every, everyone knows her. Yeah. That's a true story. She won Best Song? Bonnie Raitt? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow, okay. Because of, uh, what, Stranger Things, was it? Uh, or no, that was somebody else. <laughs> that was close. Well, should that, and now it's a real. But that artist. <laughs> Sorry, what? Now it's a Halford <laughs> and Ruff conversation. The Stranger Things song that got the artist a big bump. And she made more money this past year than she did in her entire career. That's Kate Bush. Yes, thank you. Kate Bush, it was a great story. Well, then what the hell did Bonnie Raitt do? I don't know. <laughs> Halford hasn't expanded on this. Well, you're the one that brought in the Stranger Things thing. Well, I was mixing the two up. I was thinking of John McEnroe, sorry. Yeah. I think the first time singer, Bonnie right? Raitt and Kate Bush have ever been mixed up. <laughs> and John McEnroe yeah. is in there. Yeah. Okay, I don't what know. What a trio. See, here's the thing. Like, I'm, I'll admit, I don't know who Kate Bush is. Oh, huh. Eighties. Uh, I thought. Artist. I thought. I thought that Wondering was a NASCAR that driver. Yeah. <laughs> That's Kyle Busch. Rugby player, Kyle right? Busch. That's her highly successful son, Kyle Busch. Oh, you're thinking of Dick Trickle. No, uh, spells cr- his name different. Okay, let's go, guys. Chris from the night. Oh. <laughs> Chris did you just from go Nan- through puberty. I think I did. <laughs> Chris from Nanaimo. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend's going to kill me. <laughs> What I learned, that's never happened to me on the air, you know? What <laughs> I learned you're is- You're 46 years old. <laughs> Def- defensive prospect Elias the other Pedersen is way more important to this team t- development than he should be, especially since he's the only defenseman coming. 
how the hell are they going to fix this defense? Well, yeah, so that is the this, number one question. How, this, how are they going to do this? We did this exercise with Faber a couple weeks ago where we said it's probably it's great for Elias Pettersson that he's the top-rated uh, defensive prospect in the system, but it's not great for the prospect system mm-hmm. because he's good, not great. I mean, Faber thinks that he's going to play in the NHL, which is fantastic. He's so far away, though. He's not like he's not coming in next year. Uh, what uh, you know, actually speaking of that, what I wanted to ask Faber is, do you think that Aturatu, hey Aturatu, do you think that he'll be in the American League next season? Yes. Yeah. Like I think he's got another. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He's got to. Yeah. He's got to get it. He's got to improve his skating. Well, if they're doing the Wilkes Barry assist in eight games, he's minus not five. It's right? not great. If they're doing the Wilkes Barry model. Um, you, then Canucks fans got to be prepared for guys to be down in the American League for extended periods mm-hmm. of time. Do you think? Do you think Rathbone and Hoaglander will be in the organization next season? Yes, I don't I do. think Rathbone will. I, I think th- you're way off on that. I think he'll be traded. I think he'll request a trade. Okay. I think Hoaglander has got a chance to be traded. Okay. I just I I, I mean, they got enough wingers. I know. I'm not saying. Why, why, why would you? Why do you think that Rathbone is still going to be in the organization? How happy do you think he is with the Canucks right now? Um, I, 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 but I don't. Lots of guys want changes of scenery. I'm just not sure they get it when they ask. That's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think my answer uh, is correct. No, but it infers anything other than like I think you asked. Do you think they'll be here? I'm like I think they'll be here. It's not a definitive statement of fact where it's like, these guys are the future, and they love it here in the organization. I would say Rathbone is 80% to be traded, and Hoaglander maybe 30% or something like that. 80%. Oh, yeah, I think he's gone. Devin with what we learned. Uh, Sorry, what are you guys going to – you guys are chuckling over my little voice break there? Chris from (laughs) – One more time, one more time. Chris from – This is awesome. This is great. That's going to live on for a very so long good. time. What happened? I don't know. That's never happened. I blame Chris my... From the <laughs> Your voice just gave out. It did. That's what happened. Yeah. He didn't go through puberty. His voice just, just completely <laughs> came out. Just like His an voice old... just like, nope, not anymore. Just like an old flat tire. Yeah. Just... It got worse as the like it was a second <laughs> yeah. long clip, but the second half of the clip it got increasingly. Hold on weaker. for a second. It like, just collapsed. You can actually hear like the air coming out of a tire. Ready? Chris from the night. I just gave it's like up. A dying goat. Yeah. That poor goat. It had so much to live for. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.